Well, I am fired up that you're here this weekend, and I really believe God's going to move. You, you ready for God to move in your life? Uh, it's, which, um, 22 years ago, I got married to Jamie, and when we were married, two topics dominated what we fought about and what we argued about the most. And I can almost guarantee you, you know what those two topics are, because statistically, they're the two topics that plague most marriages. What are they? Sex and money, right? Sex and money. Now, when it came to sex, maybe some of you guys dealt with what I dealt with early in marriage. You know, I had to go to Jamie and say, listen, you're asking to make love too much. I feel like a piece of meat sometimes, you know. <laughs> you know that's not true, right? That's not true at all. And when it came to money, we, we had so many competing priorities of what we wanted to do. We clashed all the time. But even if, even if you're single here today, if you're single, these two topics cause a ton of tension in your life as well. What's interesting to me is that the two topics we struggle with the most in life are the two topics we want to hear from God on the least. You come to church and it's like, hey, preach on anything but those two. It's almost satanic to me because I think Satan's job in your life is to cause you to not listen to God's word and continue to listen to the broken advice this world has to give you so that your life continues to tumble and tumble and tumble. And when it comes to the topic we're going to talk about today, which is, which is money, what's interesting is that when you study the life of Jesus in the New Testament, Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than any other topic except for one, the kingdom of God. Do you know in, in Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the synoptic gospels, did you know one out of every six verses is about money and possessions by Jesus? Do you know Jesus had 38 parables, 16 of them are about money and possessions? Jesus spoke more about money and possessions than faith and love combined. So if you ever go to a church and they never talk about this topic, here's my advice. Run. Run because you, you can't be a biblically-based church and not preach about what Jesus preached about. And I get why people get funny about money when we talk about it, and it's because oftentimes the idea is that that guy just wants something from me. The pastor wants something from me. And I hope the more you're around here, you understand my heart and the heart of our church. We want nothing from you. We only want God's best for you. But here's the question I want us to wrestle with today. Why would Jesus talk more about money and possessions than almost any other topic? Why would he do that? You've ever thought about that? And I think there's one answer, and here it is. Because there is nothing in most people's life that competes more with God for first place than your money and possessions. It is the number one competitor for God having all of your heart. And I don't know if you realize this or not yet, but God's greatest goal in your life and mine is to be first in your life, to be number one. In fact, did you know he has to be first? He can't, he can't accept any place in your life other than first place. Why? Because he's first. He's best, and he wants best for you. In fact, in, in uh, Matthew chapter 22, someone asked Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? And Jesus answered this way, love the Lord your God. Say it out loud. With what? Say it out loud. With all your heart. With all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, God says, I want to be number one. But it starts with your heart. Now, the word heart in the Greek is the word cardia. And here's what it means. It means the center and source of your life, everything about you. This is your heart. It represents where your devotion and your feelings and your desires lie. This is your heart. 
And you might be saying, well, how on earth is my heart connected to my money? Listen to the words of Jesus. Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. Here's what Jesus said. Where your treasure is, there your, say it out loud again, there your heart is also. This is the exact same Greek word, cardia, everything about you. And here's what Jesus says. Treasure is your wealth. It's your money. And Jesus says this. The number one indicator of where your heart is, is where you put your finances. In other words, your heart follows your finances, and it's an inescapable truth. I'm a very visual learner, so I just want, I want to visualize this for you, okay? Here's what Jesus is saying, all right? There's all your treasure and money, and there's your heart. By the way, this is fake, okay? This is fake money, all right? So security, you can relax right now, you know? So it's like, this is, this is 30 bucks off Amazon, I got this, okay? But it's, it's fake $100 bills in here. But Jesus says this, there's your treasure and your heart. And there is a chain that connects the two of them. Now, I, I've heard this, this verse misquoted, where your treasure is or your heart is also. Some people say this. They say where your heart is, that's where your treasure is. That is 100% not true. In fact, your, your heart, your, your finances do not follow your heart. Some of you know this. You had a boyfriend or a girlfriend that said this. I love you. Or they said maybe like this. Girl, you got my heart. And then what you found out later on is that, you, you ever had someone be so stingy, little cheapskate boyfriend or girlfriend, wouldn't spend a dime on you, and what'd you find out later on? They didn't have, you didn't have their heart at all. Nothing. Here is the recipe from Jesus. Watch this. Jesus says this, wherever your treasure goes, your heart automatically follows your treasure. And this isn't a Christian thing, it's a thing thing. It's a fact of life. And I promise you today, if you showed me your bank account and where all your money was going, I could show you exactly who has your heart. Some of you just built a house or you did a major home renovation, your heart is there. It's all you think about. You're in Home Depot, Home Goods, Hobby Lobby all the time, right? And some of you, uh, you just bought a new car. You ever notice when you buy a new car that you don't really notice that car on the road, but the moment you buy that car and put your treasure there, you see that car everywhere. You ever notice that? Some of you just invested in a, in a, in a stock or made a really big investment. You check it all the time. You're on the stock market looking at the ticker. Some of you are into sports betting. You bet on a football team. You have never loved that football team ever that much when you put your treasure there. Some of you, you know why, you know why your uh, alma mater, the school you went to, you know why you love it so much? You're like, I got a degree there. No, it's because they took all your money, right? <laughs> Especially if you're in debt still, right? Some of you love your pets so much. I love hearing from some of you about your cats, okay? But you love your pets so much. We just got a dog this past year, and man, we have the best dog. It's a Bernadoodle, it's awesome. But you know why some of you love your pets so much? because they're expensive. Like I forgot how much pets cost, like the food and the shots and the vet. I mean, it's like, wow. Some of you are like this. You're like, nah, that's not where my money's at. All my money's with those little blood suckers. I mean, my kids at home. <laughs> I mean, you, you spend so much on your, kids are expensive, right? I mean, all the clothes. And some of you want your kids to be so happy, so you do everything for them. You buy them all the toys, all the vacations, everything they want. 
which is fine, but what you don't realize that other people may see is that you have begun to worship your kids, maybe even over your Savior. It's just where all your treasure is. Listen, your, your finances, wherever they go, your heart automatically follows. And it's a fact of life. And listen to what I'm saying. I'm not saying don't buy a house, don't buy a car, don't take care of your kids. Okay, I'm not saying that. All I'm saying is that what Jesus said, I just want, to, I want it to sink into your heart. Jesus said, wherever your treasure goes, your heart will go there. So why did Jesus talk more about money and possessions than almost any other topic? Lean in. Jesus doesn't need your money, but he demands your heart. And he will never have first place in your heart until he has first place with your finances. That's why he talked about it. And so what I want to do today is I just want to look at Scripture and I want to answer this question. How can we put God first? Because God knew he would never have your heart until he had first place in your finances. Do you know some of you feel so far from God right now? And you've never made the link that you feel so far from God because God really doesn't have your heart because he doesn't have first place in your finances. So what would it look like to put God first with our finances? And I'm gonna give you two main points today and I hope God speaks to you powerfully. Point number one is this. To put God first in our finances, you have to put God first every single time you get paid. Every single time God gives you treasure, he, he, you get paid, he wants to be first. And the biblical principle here is a five-letter word we treat as a four-letter word in church, which is what? The tithe. It's the tithe. It's, it's all throughout Scripture. It's, it's a way for us to put God first. Now, the word tithe in the Hebrew language, when it's first introduced, introduced is the word masar. And here's what it means. It simply means one-tenth or ten percent. That's literally what the tithe means. It just means ten percent. And What's important about this principle, and this is how I've taught all my kids, and it's the easiest way I know how to teach it, is that every single time God gives you 10 of these, God says one-tenth or 10% belongs to me. I want you to bring it back to me to put me first, and I can bless the rest. But this makes sure you're, you're, every single time you get paid, I get to be first. And I can align your heart, and, I'll, and his promises, I'll bless the rest. Now, the order in which you give matters. The order in which you give. You might say, out of all 10 of these, which one is the tithe? Like, which one is it? Is the middle, the middle, which one is it? It's the first. It's the first, because God wants to be first. So when you get paid, what a lot of us do is we get paid and we're like, pay the mortgage, pay the IRS, pay, you know, the bills, pay golf courses, pay the pets, pay sports betting. I mean, I don't know where it's all going, right? But it's like, if there's anything left over, God, you get a little bit. And God's like, no, 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 I want to be first, I want to be first. Now, I'll be vulnerable for a moment, okay? When I was little, my parents taught me this principle. I grew up in church, and, they, and, and every single time I got 10 of these, when I was a kid, I tithed. If I got $1, I remember bringing a dime to church. When I first got married to Jamie, I'm going to be really vulnerable with you today, we did not tithe. We were tipping God. I was giving God an amount that I thought was generous, but it wasn't 10%. 
And I realized why later on, because when you get 10 $1 bills, giving a dollar is not hard. When Jamie and I first got married, we were both working in the corporate world. We were making well into six figures, well into six figures. And I just realized it becomes a little bit harder. I was giving an amount to God that wasn't 10%. It was a tip that I thought God would be happy with. And when I looked at it, I was like, we're not, we're not tithing. Now, I think God made it 10% so that those of us that are math confused sometimes, it's easy to understand. So let me just show you what happens to your heart the more money you make, right? I'm just gonna do some math with you. Now remember, if you make $8,000 a year, right? You make $8,000 a year, what is a tithe? 800, you just drop the zero. You're like, I didn't know you could do that. Yeah, that's 10%, okay? You just drop the zero. 8,000 is 800, that's a tithe. If you were a high schooler making $8,000 a year, be $800. If you made $80,000 a year, what's the tithe? Drop the zero, it's 8,000, right? If you made $800,000 a year, what's a tithe? 80,000, ooh, that feels a little different. If you made $8 million a year, what is the tithe? 800,000, let me stop there. Does that not feel different than 800? You see what happens to your heart as the amounts get bigger? $800 you can only do so much with, but $800,000 you are like, wow, I don't know. If you made $80 million a year, what would the tithe be? $8 million. Which is why, statistically, you know who struggles with tithing the most? You can look this up for yourself. Statistically, who struggles the most? Those who make the most. And I just want to speak to someone here today. You're not tithing, you're tipping God. You're treating God like he's a server. Here you go, God. Here's an amount I think is pretty big for you. I just want you to understand God is not your server. He's your king. He not only deserves, he demands to be first place in your life. And the way God said he could be first place in your life with your heart is that you have to put him first in your finances. And that comes when we bring the first back to him. And that's why Malachi chapter three, verse 10 says this, bring the what? Bring the whole tithe. Why does they bring the whole tithe? Because most people don't bring the whole tithe. They bring a portion of it that they think is okay for God. And it says, bring it to the storehouse. That was a room connected to the temple at the time, the local church. It doesn't belong to us. We bring it where God wants. Bring the whole tithe. Now, I'm reading this. I'm studying scripture. I went to Bible college. I went to Bible college. I got married. I wasn't tithing. And I started studying scripture, and I'm like, I'm not doing this. I looked at our budget. You know what we were giving? This is exactly, I remember our, looking at our budget. We were giving 7.6%. I was like, well, that seems big to me. And I wasn't trying to be legalistic. I just wanted to be obedient to God. And so I took my budget out with Jamie, and I plugged in 10% of our income, giving it to our local church at the time. And I remember our budget. I had our, our income and all of our expenses, and then I had, I had a positive number at the bottom. The moment I put 10% in, it went to a negative number at the bottom. And I said this, see God, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And I remember the very next thing God said in Malachi chapter three, verse 10. He says, bring the whole tithe. And he said this, test me. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty. And see if I won't throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there won't be room enough for it. When you put me first in any area of your life, I will bless it. 
And then he says this, he says, I'll prevent pests from devouring your crops and the vines of your field will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. This was an agricultural society. Their money was their agriculture, okay? And God says, I will protect everything you have. And here's the promise that God is telling us with tithing. And this is so good. 90% with God goes further than 100% on your own. That's the promise. That's the promise. And again, that takes faith for a lot of us because I was so afraid to tithe for the very first time. I was almost trembling to do it because I'm like, I don't think this works. And God's like, test me. Did you know tithing is the only place in all of scripture we're invited to test God? That blows my, it's the only place. In fact, God's going like this to some of us today. I double dog dare you. That's, that's literally what he's saying. I double dog dare you to see if 90% with me doesn't go further than 100% on, on your own. Did you know the number 10 in scripture represents a test? The number 10, watch this. Let me show it to you. I want you to say it out loud. And you'll, you'll start to see the, the pattern developing. Watch this. How many plagues were there in Egypt? How many plagues? 10. God was testing the heart of Pharaoh. Now say it out loud with me. How many commandments were there? 10, God was testing our hearts. Will we be obedient? Now, you'll see the, the pattern. Watch. How many times were Jacob's wage changed? You may not know this. What is it? 10. How many days was Daniel tested? Say it out loud. 10. How many times did God test Israel in the wilderness? 10. How many disciples were there? Oh. I was testing you. I was testing you. 12, okay? Not 10. But 10 is a test. And God says, if you would just give me your heart, put me first in this area. I am 100% faithful, but you gotta do it with 90% with me. Now, how's, how's God do that? God can do it any way he wants. He can open up the floodgates of heaven. He can bless you in any way he wants, but it may not always be financial. I mean, I love what that, what that verse says. He says, I'll open the floodgates, but then after that, he says what? The pests won't devour your crops and the fruit will be more fruitful in your life. Now, I love that. Let's, let's apply that to us today. Does anyone else here today feel like everything's being devoured in your life? Cars always breaking down. Appliances always breaking. Your job is a mess all the time. Do you understand God has the ability in a nanosecond of changing your life of what gets devoured? You don't think he has the power to do that? Your God is way too small. And then he says, what about the fruit? Let's make it more personal. Some of you have a marriage today or a family and you'd say there's not much fruit. And this is how I felt. When I first got married to Jamie, there wasn't fruit, you guys. We fought all the time. It was, I mean, if you've, heard, if you've heard me tell my life story, our marriage was a mess. And I'm telling you, the moment we put God first in our finances, we started tithing, everything changed. Jamie and I would tell you, tithing saved our marriage. We really believe that. Why? Because remember, the moment you put God first in your finances, he aligns your heart. And how can your heart be aligned with even your spouse if your heart isn't aligned with God? And I'm just telling you, we, some of us have never made this link before that there's such a link between our heart being given to God and our heart being aligned with our spouse when we put God first in our finances. And this was Jamie and I's story. 
Billy Graham, my hero, he said it this way, if a person gets his attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every area of his life. And I believe that. It'll help straighten out your marriage, your family, your work, your peace, even your debt. You know what some of us have done? Our excuse for not putting God first in our finances is we say, well, I gotta get out of debt first. I got some personal financial goals. So let me get rid of my personal financial goals, then I'll put God first. That's not how it works. God has to be first. And I wanna show you the real life story of a couple from our East Valley campus that had these really great personal financial goals, but they realized God wasn't first. And I want you to see Chris and Susan's story. Watch this. In the lobby of Ramsey Solutions on the debt-free stage, Chris and Susan are with us. Hey guys, how are you? Hi Dave, hi Christina. Hi guys. Welcome, where do you guys live? Mesa, Arizona. So we were gifted Financial Peace University when right before we got married. And we weren't really in terrible financial shape, but it really seemed like a good thing to do. So we got really focused on that and we worked together as a team. And once we paid off all of our consumer debt, we then just kind of played through all the way to start working on the house. And when I said that we did Financial Peace University and we were kind of like all in with it, we were all in except we took some liberty with the tithing part of it. But what would you tell people are the, is the key? Of all the amazing things y'all learned, all the hustling you did, what's the key to getting out of debt? I mean, the, the biggest key for me was all these little course corrections that we did during the journey um, led to one of the biggest alignments that we had to do, not only with the Ramsey plan, but with the Lord. Um, and that came the beginning of this year. So we were already six years into our journey. And uh, in February, our church, um, which if it's okay, it's Christ Church of the Valley. Yeah, we love those guys. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, so Pastor Ashley Wooldridge, he yeah. did his annual uh, tithing message. Mm -hmm. And he challenged all the members of the church that weren't already tithing the, the full 10% mm -hmm. to, to do it for three months and then see what the Lord did in your life. And so Chris and I talked about it, and we had always given what we believed was quite generously to the church, mm -hmm. but we weren't, we, we weren't tithing. We were tipping, really, was what it came down to. Mm -hmm. We thought we were being obedient, um, but really, you know. It, it really put us over, uh, over the edge. Um, we were so close to paying off the house. And when I say so close, 100,000 or what, but really starting to tithe really made that jump. And if you look at the numbers, it shouldn't have worked. Honestly, it was the most inconvenient time to start taking money from a budget that was already so tight and putting a, a large portion towards tithing. I've always been the one to not enjoy those tithing messages. Uh, <laughs> no offense to um, all the pastors at CCV, but it, it's it's a tough it's a tough one to to come to, but I think as we progressed in our faith and as we began to trust the Lord more and trust each other more, um, that message got easier and easier and easier. I would say that as we were going through this debt-free journey, what started out as a super positive um, 
goal that we had and we were working together and it, it, it almost became a bit of an obsession. Um, I guess like anything, when you put too much emphasis, right, and you leave God out of it, it can become toxic. And we were so focused and it seemed like such like an, an honorable goal, but really we were just becoming quite greedy. <laughs> I think that there's a lot of people that are like us that think, well, when, when we reach our personal goal or when we get the kids into this stage of life, once we pay off the house, once we reach our goal, then we'll start working towards God's goals and it doesn't work that way. Something that we learned through Financial Peace University is that if you are going to do the program and you're going to do it in a sustainable way, you have to change your identity. You have to become a person who no longer borrows money. And I think the same goes for tithing. You can't just tithe when it's convenient because there's a lot of times when it will not be convenient. You will lose a job. You will have you know, unexpected expenses. You have to change your identity to become an obedient follower of Christ who is a tither. Thank you, Chris and Susan. Oh. And Chris, Chris, I am really offended that you don't like my tithing messages, okay? No, there's, there's a lot of people that don't like them, right? Who struggles more with tithing, men or women? My experience as a pastor is almost 99.9% .9 of the time it's men. In fact, women are so eager to step out and trust God. And men, sometimes we are, we're, we're ones not leading the way. Why? And, and there's a very spiritual principle behind this. I think men feel more weight of the finances and the weight of providing. And it takes a lot of trust for us to trust God when we just can't see how it works. And I love their story because they wanted to get out of debt, but it was the moment they started tithing that God got them out of debt faster than they could have ever imagined. And that's what happens when you put God first. And that takes trust. But I feel compelled by God to talk to, if it's only one person here today, I feel like compelled to just talk to you. And I don't know who you are, but it's not a trust issue. You have a theological issue with tithing. And your issue is tithing is an Old Testament concept, and I'm a New Testament Christian, so I don't have to do it. And I just want to talk to you from a, a biblical standpoint because I'm a theologian. I, I love God's word. I think it's so clear on this. I just want to take you on a quick journey if you'd stay with me. This is mind-blowing to me. Genesis chapter 14, the very first book in the Bible, just pages in. This is the very first mention of tithing in all of Scripture. And what happens is a man named Abraham, who is the father of our faith, the lineage, Jesus comes through the lineage of Abraham. Abraham has a battle that he wins and he has a windfall of income that comes into his possession. And the moment this happens, watch what happens. Verse 18, Genesis 14, 18. Then Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine to Abraham. Remember, what does is, what is bread and wine represent in our Christian faith today? Hold that in your mind. He was priest of God most high and he blessed Abraham, verse 20. Then Abraham gave him a tenth or a tithe of, of everything. Now, this mention of tithe is first time in all of Scripture. This is 430 years before God ever gives the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. The first mention of tithing has nothing to do with the law. It has everything to do with a godly man named Abraham giving to this mysterious priest, Melchizedek. So the million-dollar question to me is, 
Who is this Melchizedek? One of the last books in the entire Bible is the book of Hebrews. In the New Testament, Hebrews tells us who Melchizedek is that Abraham tithed to. Hebrews chapter 7, verse 1, this Melchizedek was king of Salem and priest of God most high. Verse 3, watch this. There is no record of his father or mother, this Melchizedek, or any of his ancestors. He has no beginning or end to his life. He remains a priest forever, resembling the Son of God. Now think about Melchizedek. Who do you know that has no genealogy, no beginning or end, no earthly father or mother, and and will be a priest forever and ever and ever interceding for us in our sins? Who do you know like that? Who is that? The verse tells us, who is it? The Son of God, Jesus. Hebrews tells us that Melchizedek was either Jesus or a representation of Jesus. The the, the name Melchizedek, Melchizedek, means king. Zedek means righteousness. Who's the king of righteousness? Who do you know that's a king of righteousness? It's Jesus. When he brought bread and wine, I don't know if he was even representing communion. I hope this, this, does it blow anybody else's mind? The first tithe in all of scripture is given to either Jesus or a representation of Jesus. It has nothing to do with the Old Testament law. Nothing. And if you've struggled with this and you've argued with it, I would just ask you today, if Jesus walked on stage today, bumped me off stage, which I invite him to do anytime, Jesus, you wanna come do that, okay? My prayer is every time I preach that you hear Jesus, not me. If Jesus walked on the stage and he showed you his blood-pierced hands and he walked up to you in your row right now and put his hand on your shoulder and he whispered in your ear and he said this, I love you. I love you, but I wanna be first in your life and I'll never be first until you put me first in your finances and start tithing. If Jesus asked you to tithe, would you? I want you to answer in your mind right now. If Jesus asked you to tithe, would you? And if the answer is yes, I want you to know you're in trouble because he said it twice in the New Testament. And people gloss over these verses, which blows my mind. In Matthew 23, 23 and Luke eleven forty two, Jesus says the same thing. Let me read you Luke eleven forty two. Jesus says this. What sorrow awaits you Pharisees? The Pharisees were the religious leaders who thought they had everything figured out. He says, for you are careful to tithe even the tiniest income from your herb gardens, but you ignore justice and the love of God. What does Jesus say next? Would you read it out loud with me? You should tithe. That's the words of Jesus. You should tithe, yes, but don't neglect the more important things as well. What is Jesus telling us? He's telling us unequivocally, you need to put him first in your finances by bringing the first 10% back to him every single time you get paid. But what's Jesus say? Don't neglect the more important things. And here's point number two, if you really want God to be first in your life, is this. Tithing is the starting point, but it's not the stopping point of generosity. My biggest fear, every single time I teach on tithing, my biggest fear as a pastor is that many of you who've been tithing your whole entire life, like you are faithful every single time you get paid. If your paycheck was $4,332, you immediately cut a check or get online because you automate the important. You get online and you write a check for $432.30. And it is every single time. You've been doing it for 10, 20, 30 years, a lifetime. 
And my biggest fear when I preach on tithing is that some of you have been tithing for a really long time. You sit back in your chair and you're like this. You're like got your arm out and you're like, yeah, get them, pastor. Get them. Get those people who aren't tithing. And I, I just want to challenge you that tithing is just the starting point. It's not the stopping point. And, and God really rocked my heart on this years and years and years ago as I tried to study scripture on, on generosity, what happened is, is when I started tithing, here's, here's how I viewed it. I, I, every time God gave me 10, I would give God the first, and I started doing that faithfully, but I viewed the other 90% as mine. God, you get this one, hands off all this. This is mine. And I realized studying scripture that it all belongs to God. Every bit of it belongs to God. And I was teaching my daughter, my oldest daughter, about tithing, and I was giving her these $10 bills, and I'll never forget what she said. I said, every single time God gives you 10 of these, sweetheart, you bring one back to him. And here was her, her response. She said, Dad, you kept all nine for yourself. I was like, you shut your mouth. Dad's earning the money here, okay? <laughs> but I wasn't. Because Scripture says I'm not the one earning it. God is the provider of everything we had. And I started to realize, God, this all belongs to you, and I don't know, Maybe over time, as you bless me with more and more and more, maybe you shouldn't get one. God, maybe you should get two. Maybe you should get three. Maybe you should get more than that. First Corinthians, Paul's talking to the church, and he says, I want you to give in proportion to what you've earned. And I realize proportional giving breaks the spirit of selfishness sometimes because we can spend our whole life just giving God 10% and getting really selfish with the other 90%. And God says, I want you to continue to grow in your generosity. And as I began to understand this, Jamie and I sat down and we began to set some financial goals. And our financial goals were we wanted to pay off all of our debt. It was one of our really big goals. But one of the goals we wrote that year is we began to understand this. We said, God, wouldn't it be fun if every single year we sat down with our budget and we, 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 were, we challenged ourselves to give a little bit above the tithe every single year? Like we start at 10%, but what if you got 11% and 12%? We set this massive goal of, what if we could give half of our income someday away to, the, to you? Because I kind of looked at my budget and I thought, what if the largest item in my budget was my giving, not my mortgage? That was a dream of mine because then it's like God would truly have all my heart, not something else. What I say next, I, I hope you hear with the utmost humility because this is not a story of, of, of our generosity. This is a story of God's faithfulness. Jamie and I started going on a journey that year. It was 19 years ago. We went from 10%. The next year, we were working in the corporate world. We got these massive raises. We went from 10 to 12.3% with our giving. The next year, we went to 14%. The next year, we went to 15.8%. I remember it like yesterday. We just kept saying, God, every single year, we want to grow in our generosity. Because I'd always heard, you can't outgive God. But not many of us try. And, God, and Jamie and I just wanted to get on a journey where we became more generous because I realized studying scripture that, that the central verb of the entire, entire Bible is not love, it's to give. John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he what? He gave. And we are most like God when we develop a generous heart. And I know most of us want to be generous but we don't ever challenge ourselves to grow in our generosity. And Jamie and I started challenging ourselves. And Jamie was praying with me before the service. And we looked at each other almost with tears in our eyes. And we said, we've been at this for 19 years. 
And in 2007, we were able to pay off our house miraculously. And after that, we began to give like never before. And for the last several years, we've been able to give over half of our income every single year away to the local church and a few other ministries. And we would tell you this, nothing has developed our love for God and each other than being more generous. It's drawn us closer to God than ever before and closer to each other. Our marriage is what it is today because we really feel like God's blessed that. Now listen, this is not a message about give and get. That's the prosperity gospel. It makes me sick. This is a message about aligning your heart with God because what did Jesus say? Matthew chapter six, verse 21, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's gonna be. And I'm just gonna challenge you today, no matter who you are, to develop a larger heart of generosity, even in a world right now where it seems like, oh, recession, inflation. No, that's when you trust God the most. And if you're here today, anyone here today, and you for any inkling think this, that pastor's just saying that to get my money. I would invite you not to give a dime to CCV. But here's my challenge to you. You go find a church that you believe in, that you trust their leadership, that they're preaching you God's word, not to get something from you because they want something for you. And you tithe there, you give there, because it breaks my heart to see Christians ignore this financial principle and watch their lives crumble in so many areas because they're not putting God first. And CCV, I just want you so desperately as your pastor. I just want God to have your heart. He cannot have your heart until he has first place in your finances. So here's my challenge. And you take it. You take it. Number one, if you're not tithing, if you're not tithing, you trust God with the tithe. You put him to the test and start tithing for three months. That's my challenge. You do it every single time you get three months. You test him. See if he doesn't throw open the floodgates of heaven and take care of you better with 90% than you can at 100%. And I guarantee you he will. And men, I'm gonna challenge you to step up and lead. You don't be the one that sits on the sidelines and goes, huh? You lead. Trust God. You say, well, do I give up my gross or my net? What is it? I don't care. Scripture isn't, scripture isn't clear. You just, we tithe off our gross because I want God to get the first, not the IRS. Because does the IRS have the ability of blessing your finances? That's a dumb question, okay? It's a dumb question. I want God to be first. You'd say, well, does, does it really have to, does a tithe, can I put the tithe where I want or does it have to go to the local church? Listen, the, the tithe doesn't belong to you. God says it's mine. So we don't get to control where it goes. In scripture, it went to the storehouse that was connected to the temple, the local church. And the first mention of, of tithing is Abraham giving to either Jesus or a representation to Jesus. And Jesus says the local church is his bride, so we bring the first back to the bride of Christ. We don't get to control it. That's, my, that's my, really my opinion. It's not self-serving. That's just, if I didn't work in the church, that's exactly, and I have not worked in the church, that's exactly what I did. But if you're not tithing, you test God. Three months, you can give online or through our mobile app. It is so simple to do. You set it up. I think you should automate it, because automating the important, then you make sure every single time you get paid, it's automatically there. But for those of you that are tithing, I'm just gonna ask you this question. Is God calling you to trust, trust him more, to develop your generosity? And if he is, just be obedient because you cannot outgive God. 
Whatever God tells you, as your pastor, I'm just saying be obedient and watch him provide for you the way you cannot provide for yourself. Let's pray. Father, I ask for conversations that are gonna happen to be just seasoned with, with your grace and your love. I know there'll be some marriages that they're gonna talk about this after the service, and I pray you bind them in unity to trust you. I pray for men to step up and lead. God, I pray for, for single moms here. This is tough. I pray that you throw open the floodgates to provide for them the way you promised. And God, I pray that whatever you're telling us to do, we would do it in obedience and watch you move like never before. And we pray all this in the powerful name of Jesus and all this said, amen. CCV, go out and trust God. I love you. Have a great week.